Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Hi, everyone. Joe Sancio here. I hope you all had a terrific holiday season. While our hosts recuperate from what was a roller coaster of a year, we wanted to kick off 2021 in a gracious manner. We dove into our vault and pulled out one of the first recordings from February 2020 featuring Chris Shembra. Chris is the best-selling author of Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection, chronicling his adventures as one of the most sought-after dinner hosts in the world. Forbes ranks his book as the number two book of 2020 to create human connection. USA Today calls him the gratitude guru, and he's a founding member of Rolling Stone's Culture Council. He is the founder and chief question asker of 747, an advisory firm which helps companies give the gift of community and belonging to their VIP clients and partners. Having used their signature pasta sauce to spark over 500,000 relationships around the dinner table, their core hypothesis is that giving gratitude to others is the key to fulfillment and ultimately good for business. As we dive headfirst into the new year, it's important for us to take pause and thank our incredible audience. Thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. We do not exist without our dedicated community of listeners and supporters. From the Yield family to yours, we wish you health and happiness throughout the new year. We will return to our regularly scheduled episodes next week. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm thrilled to be in the studio today with the one and only Chris Shembra. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's uh, it's a thrill to be here and what a wonderful studio y'all have set up, and I'm so excited for this podcast. Well, thank you. It is definitely a work in progress, but for once, I'm thrilled to have a studio of our own, and it's great, and it's very exciting. Big things for Yield Street here. I like it. Such good good energy in this office. Great people. <laughs> definitely. It's a very unique place, and it's exciting to see all of the growth. Having only been here for four months, it's it really truly is a family. I know a lot of companies brag about that and say that's part of the culture, but the Yield Street family is a real thing. Yeah. I mean, the coolest thing you can know about growth is that when you're big enough to need electric scooters to get around the office, you know, you're doing well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's definitely a perk of the job. And I got to say, I don't, we talked about this a bit before. I I like to get my steps in around the office and I'm always sprinting and running, but there have definitely been times I love racing around those things. <laughs> so don't tell anybody, but yeah, definitely at night. Oh yeah. It's fun. It's the, uh, it's the FinTech way. Little after hours drag races oh, every now and I then. I like that. So. Racing for pink slips. <laughs> Racing lose, for equity positions. <laughs> you lose your rights to, you lose your rights after a week. So, Hey, 
on the show, we like to do a bit of seriousness, a bit of fun, good combination of both. So first and foremost, why don't you give a quick bio on yourself for those in the audience that aren't familiar with you and your work. Born and raised in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, moved up to New York City in um, August of 2011, moved up with no job, no college degree, one suitcase, living on my buddy's couch in Brooklyn. And I had the uh, suicide, depression, jail, rehab on the resume. So what was I to do? I got involved in theater and made a career out of theater for a long time, producing big Broadway plays, and touring shows and social campaigns. Until one day I, I realized that none of it was actually doing anything for me. The tipping point for this conversation was in July of 2015. I'd just come back from producing a play in Italy. And when I got back to New York City, I felt essentially what the rest of America feels on a daily basis. Lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, and insecure. In that darkness, I knew that I had to fix that quick started fiddling with food in my kitchen and accidentally created a pasta sauce recipe and figured I should probably feed it to people, see if it's even good or not. Started hosting dinners, and I've been dedicated to pasta sauce and the dinner table <laughs> ever since. That's incredible. So really looking forward to us getting into that and exploring more your path to, as you call, gratitude and pasta. As exactly. So, But before we dig into the deep stuff, let's touch on a bit of the light and have a bit of fun. So we do something called the mad minute. So just like you would warm up for a marathon or anything, any other type of athletic event for you got to, for podcasts, you got to warm up your, bur- your brain. I like it. So we do that through a f- couple, few quick hit questions. So first one, what would your superpower be? Oh no. Come on brain. Act quick. My superpower would be to actually act authentically me all the time. I, okay. I'm pretty decent at it, but I think like I think if I just acted authentically me, it could impact my well-being and impact a lot of other people's lives. That's uh, that's a first for us. <laughs> Definitely hear uh, the invincibility or immortality or invisibility, but authentically me. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. So this may be a bit of an easier one for you. Mac or PC? Mac. Look how fast that <laughs> I knew it. Man after my own heart, Mac. Who's your favorite superhero? You could say you if you want. No. Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. All right. The Flash. <laughs> Barry why Gordon. The, why Sorry, the Barry Flash? Gordon. He is super fast, and I think that's really cool, and he can get a lot of good things done by being fast while still be time slows down so well that he actually makes good decisions in rapid speed. And that's the point of business, right? Fail fast, fail forward, iterate quick, Flash beats us out. And not to mention... One of my favorite movies of all time is Catch Me If You Can, and one of the pseudonyms that Leonardo DiCaprio uses to evade Tom Hanks is the name Barry Allen. And Tom Hanks doesn't even realize that it's a comic book character until he's sitting down in a cafe and the young man who's waiting on him, pouring his coffee, says, oh, yeah, you're a fan of The Flash? You collect too? (laughs) He's like, what? And that was the big moment to realize that the guy he's trying to catch, Leonardo DiCaprio, is a boy, not a man. He likes comics. <laughs> so That was a fantastic movie. That's a great, <laughs> great analogy there. So I think we may know the answer to this one already, but I'll ask it regardless. Bicycle or scooter? Oh, man. Oh, man. It's... Oh. 
Bicycle. Bicycle. Wait, after no, hold on. Oh my gosh, this is so tough. I've logged over 3,000 rides on city bike. I got here using a city bike. The fact that city bike just came out with the electric bike capability is like the biggest thing of my year. But I ride a scooter every day to work, a kick scooter. My commute from home to work is less than the length of a Billie Eilish song, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> and so the scooter is my, man, it's a tie. I'm sorry. All right. I'll take a tie. By the way, comparing things to songs is fantastic. And I do like that because in one of our marketing videos, we actually compare, well, somebody actually compared our deals and how fast they sell out to Lady Gaga concert tickets <laughs> and said our deals sell out faster so, than tickets for a Lady Gaga so concert. So Lady, Lady Gaga's fans are called Little Monsters, right? What do you call your investors? <laughs> Individuals looking to realize their next level. <laughs> no monsters. No monsters. No monsters. No monsters here. Although I don't find monster a, a negative term. I think everybody oh, yeah. is their own monster and that could be a positive, but that's a conversation for another time. I like that. All right. Two more questions for you, but I'm going to guess favorite meal we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> so we'll leave that one for later. If you could live in any sitcom, which would you choose? Friends. Friends. Oh, wow. All yeah. right. The original or the, the new or, one that they're going to bring back? Or How I Met Your Mother. Both excellent choices. Um, I think that How I Met Your Mother came into my life when I was actually living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and they fictionally live at 75th Street and Amsterdam Avenue in the show. And there's just something about about the way Barney Stenson, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character, says legendary. That's fantastic. All right. Well, that concludes the Mad Minute. It was actually, I think, way longer yep, sorry. than a minute, <laughs> but great insights. So without further ado, I think we're going to dive in to the content here and I kind of want to talk about three separate areas. So pre-pasta dinners, post-pasta dinners, and then the future. Nice. So after all of it. And so getting into the pre-pasta dinner area, what had you accomplished up until that point and what really led you? Because you said you came to New York back in 2011. So between your journey from South Carolina to New York and then finding yourself really within that broken space, what had you accomplished? What, what were you up to at that point? You know... I, I've spent my entire life convinced that I have actually not accomplished anything on my own at all. And that led to a great feeling of insecurity, of doubt, of uh, imposter syndrome. So growing up, born and raised in Hilton Head, South Carolina, I got very good at leading tours on the water. So when tourists would come into our island, I would take them on kayak tours I would take them on boat tours. I'd take them to go out shrimping. That was my life. So the real accomplishment around that was just just falling in love with my island, being really good at talking about nature, and being good at telling local stories. Then moving to New York City, uh, getting involved in theater was amazing to be able to communicate stories to a group of people on a nightly basis. Uh, the plays that we've been a part of, whether it's just on the investments or on the physical actual productions of it. I've won 14 Tonys, seven Emmys, and a Grammy. So we've had a really good time. I'd say my favorite project that, that I worked on then was I led marketing on a video we produced giving tribute and thanks to our veterans. So we were trying to 
produce a piece of content that would aim to lower the suicide and depression rate amongst veterans with PTSD. We threw it out into the world. We got over a million people to join our movement, and it accumulated over 36 million views. We won two Emmy Awards with it, and it was truly has become a legacy piece. So that was all pre-pasta. That's fantastic. So obviously you grew up Hilton Head. You're, a lot of your life has been spent on the water, shrimping and giving tours. And then all of a sudden you transition to New York City <laughs> and not in the tourist industry, especially on like sightseeing boats, but rather in the theater. How did you make that transition and what inspired that? Did you always have a love of the theater? Or- yeah, it's a great question because I actually went to college thinking that I wanted to be an actor. And by the time I got to college, I realized I didn't fit in with the acting crew. So I was always on the outside of that community. I never even made it as an actor in college. And I ended up becoming a light board operator in college. And so like the furthest thing from acting, but at least I was kind of involved in theater until they kicked me out. And (laughs) when I moved to New York City, was living in South Carolina before moving to New York City and I was doing the nature tours and I was producing videos. And I was doing all this kind of cool stuff. You know, I thought that was going to be it. And when I realized that it wasn't it and I needed to move away from that small bubble of Hilton Head and made it up to New York City, I was hustling everywhere, trying to sell this, trying to sell that, trying to sell everything. And I called up my dad and I said, dad, I think I want to be an actor. <laughs> he had heard that before, but he didn't know what that meant. You know, last time I said I wanted to be something, it was that I wanted to be a bowler. So he got me a ball that was tangible. So he said, you know what? Talk to my friend, Tony. He's an old actor. I think he has time on his hands. You should ask him about the business. So I called up this, at the time, 74-year-old guy who had had this big career in theater, big career in acting. And he said I could come over and ask him questions about the business. We spent time together. I think we ate two meals and six bottles of wine and we just hit it off. And he said, what are you doing next week? You want to come hang out? I'll pay you a couple bucks. And we started hanging out. And eventually I found a script. It was a one man play about Fiorello LaGuardia. And I said, the former mayor of New York City, LaGuardia Airport. I said, we should do this play. He said, good. I'll act in it. You produce it. And that began my theater career. It was just an accident. That's incredible. And was that while you were in New York? So that was while I was in New York. That was about a couple months after moving to New York City when I found the script. That's incredible. So you do have one of those, I'm going to move to the big city and be an actor slash producer dream. And that's fantastic. As one of the questions I've always been dying to ask somebody with that background has been, where do finances play a role in that? Oh my gosh, everything. I mean, that's got to be, that's got to be almost horrifying. Like you're not obviously, and I'm, I'm assuming here, but you're not moving into a million dollar condo when you come to New York, there's the fear of how am I going to earn a living and am I going to do whatever I need to do to make a buck? I was making, I believe four to $500 a week to start with Tony. I was being paid pennies. I had a couple bucks saved up, but you got to find, you know, money wherever you can find it. We had about 30 interns working for us throughout the five years that I was running our production company. And those kids would come in at 8.30 a.m., leave at 4.30 p.m., and be at their restaurant job by 5.30 or 6. And they work 19 hours a day. You just, it's like being an entrepreneur. 
You just have to put in the work and you got to be scrappy. I was lucky that I found a job working for this guy who had some deep pockets. And so I just collected money from him and we put, you know, put on some plays. But when you're really talking about saying, hey, I have a dream, I have a script, I want to see this thing on the stage, you need a couple million bucks. It's uh, it's not a very accessible dream for many people. And most plays lose money. I don't wish it upon anybody. That's incredible. So now you find yourself as a producer and you have the backing. And like you said, you had a staff of 30 interns, obviously self-taught, correct? In producing, you didn't, there was no yeah, we just, film school or no, we just, school, nothing like that we for just, you? We just made it up. I mean, Tony, the guy that I was working for, has had such a long career in theater that he, he knew things that he could direct me on, but we just made it up as we went along. I mean, I remember the, the first opening of our first play, Tuesday, October 23rd, 2012, and the way we filled that run of the show was we would go to charity events throughout the entire summer because he he was a big celebrity and so people wanted to honor him at charity events and so he just started saying yes to every charity event that wanted to honor him under the auspices that we could sell tickets to our play at the silent auction or live auction whatever the two is so we would sell tickets to the charity and the charity would mark it up to sell to their ultra high net worth donors. And that's how we sold thousands of tickets was just hustling the charity game. It was amazing, but they don't teach you that in no school. I'm a dropout. I didn't even really go to school. They kicked me out before I could even hang up my coat. So yeah, we just kind of made it up as we went along. That's incredible. And I'm assuming just because of the type of production it was, you learned everything from directing people to light. Well, you said you had some experience with the light boards. You got to sweep the floors. You got to learn how the the pieces on the, because then we went on tour all around the country and even internationally with that particular show, for instance. And so it was just me and Tony. And so then I became the light guy, the sound guy, the stage guy. I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to work with the local crew, but I would have to oversee I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know the lights, the, you got to know everything. And it's the same in business. You know, you got to, you got to work the copier. You got to work when you're starting off a company, you got to really be, do everything so that once you're the leader, you know what people are doing and you can, you know, help manage that. Oh yeah. And you just gave me some flashbacks and a bit of a PTSD moment about <laughs> copy machines. Oh gosh. I, I had an internship in a law department one summer and as the most junior, junior intern, I was tasked with making copies of all our case files to give to the other attorneys or the defense or prosecution, whichever one it was that day. And I spent too much time in front of that <laughs> copy machine, but you know what I did learn every in and out of that copy machine. And I'm pretty yep. sure I could, be a repairman for those at this point. Heck yeah. Your next career. I really hope not. And that's not to, <laughs> not to diminish the world of copy machine repair, but that I, I think I've had my fill. You had this success within the theater and it seems like everything's going great. How did you still feel or how did that sense of brokenness come about? The original sense of brokenness or emptiness it really began once me and this guy, Tony, we started seeing differently on some fundamental issues, different leadership styles, different goals for the company. So we started naturally drifting apart. The culmination was when we went over to Italy to produce this play. 
leading up to the play, I was so entrenched with not only learning the Italian language so I could communicate with the local crew, I really stepped into a new light, you know, being able to produce an international show, which was new for me. And so when we got over to Italy, it all kind of bubbled up of, holy crap, I'm really good at this, but I should be working for myself or I should be doing something that like I'm benefiting everything from, you know, I don't like working for people. And over in Italy, you had the art, you had the culture, you had the way people walked, the way people talked, and that filled my soul. And when I got back to New York, I realized my soul's not filled here. But instead of leaving New York, I said, I just, I got to try something else. And so every day would be go to work, come home, eat, go to work, come home, eat, go to work, go shopping. Start playing with food. Ah, it's pretty good. And in that little, you know, moment, because I love the food in Italy, we found the pasta sauce recipe completely on accident. We hit it on the first try. And I love the sauce, so I figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. And that started the dinners. That's incredible. That's really great. So so when you were in Italy, you didn't learn how to cook or did you cook I, with I anybody mean, there? I, I learned cooking really from Tony. I mean, Tony cooked a lot. Tony was known for his cooking. I guess in hindsight, I wanted a piece of that action. He would always have presidents and governors and heads of states and politicians and all those kind of people come over for dinner where he would serve them pasta. And I always thought that was so cool. I finally got to put my hand in the pot. I finally got to create a recipe of my own. You so literally, I yeah, you put your so, hand in the pot, literally so, so and I figuratively. I just do what I saw Tony doing for so long. And I'm guessing the last name, Shembra, you are Italian. I am Italian. So I would argue that as a fellow Italian, the sauce is in your blood. Yes. And we all have a deep family recipe somewhere within us. You know what? It's, it's interesting. It's there. I just, that's not how I was raised. I didn't get to know my grandma's recipes because she died when I was young. I will find those recipes, but that family recipe pretty much came from Tony more than it did my grandparents, ironically. That's incredible. So now to recap, you leave South Carolina, come to New York, take the job with Tony and build it up to the point where now you're performing in Italy and putting on productions there and you come back. And now again, you have one of these realization moments of, all right, I'm dropping everything and this is what I want to do now. And again, I'm going to call, I'm going to keep coming back to, to the thought of my fa- financial stability coming yeah. to that decision at all. Or is it just, I have a passion and a dream and this is, this is where I'm going. Cause I know this is going to fulfill me. Essentially what happened was July of 2015, we started the dinners, November of 2015. I went on a coffee date with a friend of mine, Carrie Hammer. She made me literally sign a contract in front of her saying, I will quit my job within the next three weeks. And I quit my job. <laughs> I quit my job. That's a really powerful contract. Yeah, that was crazy. But it was December 21st, 2015. I quit my job. So early January of 2016, I got a one-person office in WeWork to say, what's next? And at that point, I had enough money to get me through about half the year. And... I knew that I would dedicate myself to figuring out what the heck I could do. On Sunday, January 24th, 2016, 
I went snow sledding with my friend Trip Derek Barnes and my friend Dave Lindsay. And Dave, we all went back to Dave's house after snow sledding, and he said, so what are you going to do? You know, you're good at a lot of things. What are you going to do? I said, I don't, I don't know. I could probably do video marketing. I could probably do some social media marketing. Uh, I got my dinners. I got the this. I got the that. He said, no, no, no. You, you can't chase two rabbits at the same time. They'll both get away. Focus equals growth. Pick one. I said, uh, dinners. And we spent 2016 trying to figure out what that was going to look like. And God bless my parents. They supported me financially. I ate rice and beans every night. I cut myself down to minimal expenses, but they stepped up and supported their son tremendously. That's fantastic. And God bless your parents for that. And you're very fortunate yeah. to have that just stability and support. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, it goes back to the first question you ask of like, what have you accomplished in your life? And I'm like, well, the insecure imposter syndrome part of me is saying, I haven't actually, I've always had help. And so that's the weird part is that you're always going to need help from a lot of people along the way. And what do we actually achieve on our own? You know, it's like Kylie Jenner saying she's a self-made billionaire. No, you're not. You were born. <laughs> you were born into the right circumstances. So it's, it's a weird thing to talk about. Well, and also very humble at the same time. And I feel like that's, it's an amazing quality, obviously, to have. But even the most in the eyes of, I guess, the public, the most successful people on the planet are the ones that give back the most will always say, I didn't do enough or I couldn't have done it without others. So yeah, yep. you definitely have that quality. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm, in my research before coming on the show with you, I read that the gift to all of your clients throughout these dinners is really a sense of community and belonging. So when you host these VIP dinners and you bring on either the company's clients or whoever your, your sole purpose there. Well, one of the main purposes at least is to create an environment of community and belonging. So without giving away too much of your secret sauce, no pun intended <laughs> or definitely intended. How do you do that? Yeah. It's interesting. You know, from a 30,000 foot view, the linear explanation is it starts with gratitude. Gratitude leads to values, values leads to stories, stories leads to empathy, and empathy creates connection. And I'll get a little bit more granular. What we're known for is the work we do around the dinner table. Whether it's producing 18-person dinners or it's producing 400-person dinners, the intention remains the same. Get people to work together, to serve each other. It breaks down the barriers, removes the ego, develops an insane amount of connection. Just the idea of working together. But every dinner, we intentionally ask the same question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Right? Think about someone you've never met before, someone you've known your entire life. It's a third grade teacher, a dead dog, an ex-girlfriend, someone you've never met. We get people telling stories of people from their past. Instead of asking a question like, what's your biggest fear or what's your biggest failure, that makes people clam up. We create connection by taking the emphasis off talking about themselves. I'm asking you to share a story about someone that isn't in this room. Therefore, you can share pretty openly and freely. What they don't realize is the way they answer that question and the stories that they share ends up telling us more about that person than would take years 
to learn. So once someone shares their gratitude for someone, you know, like as an example, I'd like to give credit and thanks to my mother. She passed away three years. Uh, this is an example. This isn't mine, but I'd like to give credit and thanks to my mother. She passed away three years ago. I didn't start living until she left. I always lived with the insecurity that she was judging me. I was never enough, et cetera, et cetera. So we're getting these people to really dig into shame, regret, fear, overcoming liberation, etc. And when they share those stories, that develops empathy in the group setting. Pretty much everybody is going to have something that they can relate to each person's share. And from those shares, you learn values, right? Let's say you talked about your third grade teacher. What values do they stand for? Uh, they stood for humility, frugality, openness, romance, trust, I don't know. Then we encourage people to think about how do their values show up in your life today and the good that your company does for this world, the good that you do for this world. And so we take a very, you know, mushy, mushy approach to creating connection. Do you ever find it difficult to tie the good that people do for each other in the world to the good that their companies do? Because I always find it interesting that you do have companies that have and do give back a lot, but as the companies get larger, it's more difficult for the employees to actually even know about it or feel it. And I've definitely worked at a few different companies outside of Yield Street that did have a sense of philanthropy. You were so far removed from it that it, it was just so hard to, to not feel like you were just mm -hmm. giving into this machine. So it's interesting, you know, a friend of ours once said, you can't change the whole world, but as long as you can change one person's whole world, you've done enough. And we challenge people not to think about impact necessarily on, you know, philanthropic side, but you can think about impact and good in such simple ways as, you held safe space at a dinner table for someone to share a story. That's doing good, right? In today's digital, disconnected day and age with unlimited options and unlimited speaker stands for you to share your opinions, right? social media, you just get to talk. When someone comes into your life that creates the safe space for you to be heard, right? they're listening, they're asking deep questions, they're maintaining eye contact, to me, that's doing good. You know, at the end of the day, people buy from people, not from companies. And if you can do good by creating intentional, authentic, vulnerable relationships, you've just helped the person across the table be a little bit happier, a little bit less lonelier, and live a lot longer life. Because the unfortunate statistic is loneliness, which is, I think, our greatest epidemic, takes seven years off your life. Being lonely is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And 51% of the American workforce feels that. So I think doing good can be as simple as helping someone else become less lonely. That's it. That's incredible. And that's to really put it into to yield tree terms, our motto is, is realize your next level. Mm -hmm. So obviously it has different meanings for everybody, but for our investor base, really helping them realize their next level through financial freedom and earning some type of passive income. So not to go into that whole spiel, but you're essentially doing the same thing, the alleviation of loneliness through gratitude Oh yeah, for them because it's going to make them happier in their life and allow them to get to that next level to get a promotion or feel fulfilled at home or whatever it may be, or maybe realize that dream that they've been sitting on for so long and now actually feel motivated to go out and yeah. achieve it. Yeah. 
you know, it's a cool thing. Uh, we have a simple statistic, simple metric for success. If less than six people cry, we consider it a failed night. My goal is to create tears. Why tears? Because it is the body's physical release of transformation. So you talk about going to the next level. If you can get someone to cry, odds are they'll grow, right? There's, there's two types of drugs. There's a drug that, not that we're, you know. <laughs> this isn't the Joe Rogan <laughs> this experience. This isn't the Joe Rogan experience. But there's two types of drugs. Drugs that feel great when you're using them and feel like poop after. Or there's drugs that feel like poop when you're using them, but make you feel so great after. That's the difference between doing, a, you know, an, an upper or doing something like ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a, tr a healing transformational medicine. Crying is a healing transformational medicine. So our goal is to literally go into a company and say to them, hey, fly in 18 of your best clients. I'm going to make them cry. Because when you bring emotion into a B2B sale, you 2x the impact of getting that deal. Emotion leads to an increase in upsell, cross-sell, revenue, referrals across the board. Guaranteed. So that's what we're up for. And, and that's why tears are so important. You can actually see the growth happening. It's crazy. It's definitely the business of tears then, <laughs> but in a positive way. Totally. So now that you have gratitude and pasta and you've been doing this since 20, well, started 2015, 2015 yeah. and really got it, the business model down 2016, what's the future hold? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, for the last three or four years, we've essentially been 100% focused on either producing live experiences or giving keynotes. So we either produce dinners or we'll talk to an audience. Last week, we released a book. And the book is, as you mentioned, Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection. The book was uh, just ranked by Forbes magazine as the number two book of 2020 to create human connection. It's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. But that book is the first instance of taking a time for dollar model, essentially a consulting business, and moving it into a product-based model. So over time, we will still continue doing our dinners, still continue doing our keynotes, but we're going to slowly add new elements. Everything from executive coaching, more advisory work, some online courses. And so over time, you know, it'll develop into that, that broad practice, all still under the same thought leadership that giving gratitude to others is not only great for connection, but amazing for business. And yeah, so our two-year goal is to release an online course. Our five-year goal is to release executive coaching. And so we'll, you know, we'll see where the company goes from there. That's incredible. And that's really a great goal Thank you. to have. So with that, and really just to put a bow on everything that we've talked about and to give you kind of let's, I really want to have you give one of those, your own moments. And at the end of every show, we like to have our guest give a shout out to somebody that's always helped them realize their next level. And I want to give you that opportunity now. So somebody who's inspired you or say it could be something too could be a book you read in third grade that has always come back and at every moment when you needed that extra bit of motivation or inspiration and we're in between one level and the next that's what you come back to or that person for that matter today i 
I, I keep coming back to my dad, and I, I haven't given him credit and thanks in a long time, but I'm going to see him in a couple hours. I'm taking him to Italy in a few hours. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We, we talk two or three times a day. He's an entrepreneur himself. He's an author himself. He's had a philanthropist himself. He's, uh, he's had a great, great, great life, and he's been a, a mentor and a, and a coach and an advisor for many, many, many people along the way. And every time we talk, he's always saying, all right, how many calls you got today? What kind of meetings you got today? What kind of sales are you going to do today? And, I'm, and, and, you know, oftentimes, dad, stop, you know, stop, stop pushing, stop pushing. Sometimes he pushes too much, right? So, you know, <laughs> it's the Italian father I've, way. I've ruined a, a few relationships over time by being too over eager because my dad sees that much for me. And uh, so it's definitely a delicate balance, but he, he sees, uh, he sees things for people that they don't see for themselves. And so he's got a son who obviously sits with imposter syndrome and upper limiting beliefs from time to time. And he really helps shatter that glass ceiling for me. I guess it's gotten us this far. And I think it's done a pretty good job. Although it may not have seemed it at the time, but definitely now. Totally. It's paid off and it's going to continue to pay off. We're having fun. You know, his, um, his dad was right off the boat from Italy and his dad became a butcher in Newark, New Jersey, and he raised his family in a upper-class Glen Ridge, New Jersey. He was a butcher for all his life, serving the people, doing his thing, had a butcher shop in Newark. Eventually, he retired to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, where I was born and raised. And why that's important is he got so restless in retirement that he ended up going back to work in the local butcher shop. He just loved the craft. And years later, years after he had passed away, as I was interviewing for one of my first jobs in a restaurant, I was interviewing with the executive chef, Mr. Lee, this native, passionate Islander. And in his office, I saw a photograph of him and my grandfather. I said, Mr. Lee, why do you have that photograph? He said, I apprenticed under him at the local butcher shop and learned more about life watching the way that man cut meat than I ever have before in my life. And I realized that was my grandfather's legacy. And I realized... I will be cooking pasta for the rest of my life. <laughs> Regardless of where the company goes, I'm addicted to the dinner table and I will be doing this forever. Well, I think everybody, suffice it to say, that has met you and is bound to meet you is grateful for that and is very much looking forward to your dinner parties. So at this point, do you want to give one more shout out to where people and let the audience know where they could find you, where they could find the book. Book is available on Amazon. You can also go to gratitudeandpasta.com for the actual book website or 747club.org. And uh, feel free to reach out. Our team's contact is on there. And uh, yeah, I would love to, uh, love to see everybody. Definitely. Maybe your Instagram or Twitter. Instagram is chris.shembra. And Twitter is embarrassing, so no. <laughs> <laughs> and one last thing for the audience, what are favorite or most memorable dinners have been? Or maybe one oh, of the more man. unique? Because I believe I saw a picture of Times Square there. Yeah, yeah. On, the, on Thursday, September 15th, 2016, we uh, decided to shut down Times Square to host uh, a dinner, an 18-person dinner. And it was one of the calmest most serene, cerebral 
experiences of any dinner ever. You're here you are in the world's biggest stage in the middle of a packed, rowdy Times Square, people saving up their entire lives for that one moment. And we're just having dinner and it was amazing. <laughs> so that by far. I can imagine. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. And I'm very much so looking forward to doing this again and safe travels and give your father our regards Absolutely. and have an amazing trip. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.